This episode is brought to you by The Memo. Would you like a weekly dose of career inspiration curated specifically for you, delivered to your inbox weekly? If you answered yes, then text CLIMB, C-L-I-M-B, to 66866 to subscribe to our weekly newsletter, The Memo. Each week, I'll deliver a newsletter that includes career resources, career lessons, job opportunities, and opportunities for you to invest in your professional development. The Memo is also how you'll find out about upcoming events like the I Choose a Ladder Career Summit and our pop-up dinners. Getting all this is super easy. All you have to do is text CLIMB, C-L-I-M-B, to 66866. This episode is very personal, I think, because um, it's coming off of week, a week where I've dealt with a bunch of death, not a bunch, but more than I would like. So my line sister passed away and she was buried last Thursday. And then on Sunday, Kobe Bryant passed away. And before I go into um, what I want to talk about for this episode, I will start by acknowledging that I understand and I know that there are people who have very complex feelings when it comes to Kobe Bryant. And this episode is not going to be a judgment about Co- about Kobe's character one way or the other. I didn't know the man. Um, but what I will be talking about is the things that I've learned about career from listening to interviews and, and just like what he accomplished. But if hearing about Kobe is in any way triggering for you, I completely understand. I would suggest that you stop listening right now. So hit stop, find another episode that you um, that you can enjoy listening to as opposed to putting yourself through something that may bring up bad memories or ill feelings um, during the course of your day. That is not my intention at all. Again, we will not be talking about Kobe's personal life at all in this episode. I'm literally going to focus on eight career lessons that I've learned from Kobe through listening to interviews that he's done, podcasts that he's done, and then over the last, you know, two or three days, how other people have talked about him um, and how we can apply some of those things to our careers. And so that sounds like something that you would be interested in hearing. As always, grab your notebook, your favorite pen, and your favorite beverage. Today I'm drinking some ginger turmeric tea because as you all know, I gave up alcohol, or I don't know if I mentioned that, but for the foreseeable future, I'll be drinking tea. Um, And get ready for some of these gems. Let me start by saying that the consistent thread throughout everything that you read about Kobe Bryant, everything that you hear through interviews or through people's recollections of um, moments with him is that he was someone who was excellent. And he his ultimate goal was to be the best or at least one of the best. And so he had certain things that he incorporated into his day-to-day lives that I feel like if we took a fraction of that and applied it to what we do for our careers, that we could see significant changes in the results that we are getting. So I have eight lessons. Eight is my favorite number. It always has been since I was a kid. Kobe's number, well, one of his numbers was also eight, so I felt like it was appropriate. Now, these are not all of the lessons. These are just the ones that have stuck with me um, since I've been reading and researching for, for this podcast. So the first lesson that I think is very important and that a lot of times we take for granted is that everyone plays an important part. I think within the 
the day-to-day of working in large organizations or working in organizations that have pretty complex hierarchies and all of that, people seem to think that only the people in the C-suite or only the executives who are making large decisions for the company are important and they tend to forget about the assistants or the people who are lower on the totem pole if you if you must say. And I was watching an interview that he did with Jimmy Kimmel after they had won a championship. And Jimmy was kind of making fun of a guy on the team named Adam Morrison. He'd actually made an entire video compilation of how Adam had helped during that to win that championship. And it was basically Adam sitting on the bench because Adam didn't play or Adam jumping up and cheering and just kind of being, you know, a cheerleader for the team. But he didn't really, if you looked at the, the people who contributed on the court, Adam wasn't one of them. And after Jimmy did his little bit, Kobe said he acknowledged that it was funny, but he also said that Adam was an important part of the team, right? So Adam was obviously a really good basketball player. He'd made it to the NBA. And Kobe said that even though Adam is an amazing basketball player, he decided to take a step back and contribute to the team in a different way by being supportive on the bench. And because he made that decision, that was one of the things that allowed that Lakers team to win that championship. So as opposed to letting his ego get in the way and feeling some kind of way that someone who is incredibly talented, who would normally play, would be sitting on the bench, as opposed to feeling a way about that, he found a way to play a part in winning the championship. And at the end of the day, when they won the championship, the entire team got a ring, right? And so what I got from that is, we need to figure out what our role on our teams are and what part we want to play. And being okay with the fact that sometimes you may be the star and other times you may be the person that's supporting the star on the team. And you have to have enough self-confidence to allow that level of flexibility to happen without you feeling away or without you not wanting to show up for the rest of your team. Because at the end of the day, if you are part of a company or if you're part of a team, if you're part of a team that's going to be successful, when one person wins, the entire team wins, as long as that is the environment that's been created and so I would, you know, ask yourself, one, do I understand what my part on my team is currently? Do I understand what role is expected of me or what role I'm supposed to be playing? And then am I flexible enough? Am I self-confident enough to be able to adjust when necessary so that we can all win? The second thing that I got, second lesson that I got from that is you have to prepare for the race that you're running. So a lot of the times I feel like we don't even know if we're coming or going, right? We have, we go to work, we put our heads down, we don't have an understanding of the big picture of why it is that we even are where we are outside of, you know, paying the bills and getting a paycheck. And I think that for people who thrive in corporate, there is a higher level of thinking around what their career looks like and outside of the financial benefits, what is the race that they're running? What are they trying to accomplish? And I think one of the things that he talked about is the difference between playing in high school and playing in college, right? Those were completely different races with completely different expectations and different requirements of him. So one of the things that he said was when he was in high school, they would play a game once a week. So they would have an entire week from game to game where his body could recover, where his muscles could recover, where he could get time to kind of wind down and then wind back up for the next game. But when he got to the NBA, the NBA plays games back to back. So there are times where um, 
you know, players, a team may have two or three games in a week. I work for the WNBA, as you all know, and there was a season, I think it was two seasons ago, where on average, our players played a game every three and a half days. So that meant that they were either playing, getting ready to play, or traveling to play a game, right? That's a different different level of uh, physical preparation that is required. And so he said that when he first got to to the NBA, he realized that he didn't have the legs for that, um, for that level of playing. And that he realized that in order to be the best that he could be at this particular race, he had to get stronger, right? He was shooting a lot of air balls his first season, if you if you notice, like the first part of the first season. And he realizes like, it's because I don't, I'm not prepared for this. My body isn't prepared for this. Mentally, I'm not necessarily prepared for games back to back. And so he needed to go back to the drawing board and prepare for this new race that he was running. And so my question to you is, are there career air balls that you're shooting right now, right? Are there things that in your career, in your skill set, in your day to day where you're coming up short and you may need to go back because what you prepared for and what is actually required of you right now do not align. And so going back to make sure that the competencies that you need to run this new race, what's required of you, that you have that to make sure that. If there are gaps that you've identified that won't allow you to run this race without a lot of pain, without a lot of anxiety, without a lot of un, like unnecessary stress, that you are going back to the drawing board, right? You are learning, you're retraining your mind and your body to be able to run this new race. As you get to a new level, new things are required of you. So you can't always assume that what got you to this current position is going to be what allows you to excel and so first let's get clear on the race that we're running what exactly are you doing what is required of you what is the finish line of this specific chapter this specific position this specific time at this company what does that look like and what tools do you need to be able to run the race both physically mentally emotionally spiritually and make sure that you're doing what you need to do to prepare to run that race The third point is for my managers out here. If you manage people, and we've talked about this briefly before, and it's really hard to do. It's easy to say it's hard to do, but the lesson is it's more important to ask questions as opposed to being directive, right? And what that means is as opposed to just telling the people you manage what to do, asking them questions to get them to where you want them to get to so that they can think a certain way. He uses the example of, you know, when his he was coaching his daughter's basketball team, as you all um, know, it's been all over the news. And he would say that when they would have questions or problems, as opposed to just telling them what they should do basketball wise, he would ask them questions so that they could get the muscle of problem solving to train trained in a way that if those situations came up again and he wasn't around, they would have the ability to think through whatever the challenge was and come up with a solution. If he just told them what to do, they would do it, but then it would go because they they didn't understand the process, right? And I think about this in my current position. I have um, a lot of people on my team who have not worked anywhere else. And today, one of my colleagues, another of the executives there, complimented me on how the one of the men on my team has really grown and has really um, 
has really come into his own. And he said, you know, you've done a really great job of mentoring him. And one of the things that I will say is because we're not on my team, I don't solve other people's problems for them. I have my own problems. And so in the two and a half years that we've been working together, I think I've been very intentional about asking him questions to get him to think through possible solutions to solve things on his own. So when I was gone for Christmas, I wasn't worried because they know how to think. They know how to make decisions. And I think that has allowed me the freedom to do other things in my role. And I know that it's tough, right? Sometimes it's just faster to do it yourself, but that's very short-sighted. And yes, it takes more time to train people. Yes, it takes you away at least in the short term from being able to do the things that you want to do but as a manager it is your responsibility to help develop the people who have been entrusted to you right the people underneath you their careers have been and their development have been entrusted to you because the assumption is you have wisdom to impart on them and as opposed to dictating it to them teaching them and if you've had good managers you know that it's really important for them to teach you as opposed to micromanaging or dictating to you and doing that for the next generation I think allows you to move on faster it allows you to work on more interesting things and it allows the people who work for you to gain a level of confidence in their own ability that I believe allows them to do better work oh this fourth lesson listen when I heard this fourth lesson I was like, I feel like I'm being judged as if he was at the gym with me this morning. So the fourth lesson is self-negotiation is dangerous stuff. And so when I say self-negotiation, what do I mean? I mean like when you know that you're going to go to the gym in the morning, well, at least you're supposed to, you wake up and you start saying, well, well, maybe if I just left work a little earlier, like if I can just, I know I said that I was going to work out in the mornings, but you know what? I could cut my work day short. I could do it. And then you start negotiating with yourself. And then before you realize it, you've talked yourself out of the, the thing that you've agreed to yourself that you were going to do. And by the end of the day, you're tired. If you work in any major city, you have so many options of things to do after work that the chances that you're going to have the energy plus the time to consistently do things after work, um, to deny yourself doing the social things after work, to do the things that you know that you need to do, it's pretty slim, right? I remember this morning, um, I mentioned in the podcast, the Liberia podcast episode, if you haven't listened to it, go back and listen to it, but that I was trying to do something for myself every morning and most days that's meditation and working out. And Wednesdays are my cardio days. So the goal is 45 minutes of cardio on Wednesdays on the treadmill doing a HIIT workout. And it's three different rounds. And the rounds go up to, for right now, because I'm just getting started, I go up to a 7.0. And today on the third round, I was like, you know what? You've done all of this. Like You can just do it next time. You can go up to a 7.5 next time, but for right now, and I had to be like, no, we're not doing that. You're going up to the, the, you've already agreed that this is what you were doing. Your body is capable. Nothing is wrong. Nothing is hurting. Keep your word to yourself and stop trying to negotiate, negotiate yourself out of a deal that you've already made. And I say that it impacts our careers in so many ways. So for example, if you know that you're supposed to be keeping track of the work that you're doing so that your reviews are easier at the end of the year, 
But at the end of every week, you somehow convince yourself, you negotiate with yourself that you'll just do it next week or that you'll, you know, it's not really that important. You'll just take bullet point notes or you won't spend the time going over your finances um, as it pertains to like what you need to be making. And you won't, you know, get to work earlier like you said you would. You found a way to negotiate and say, well, I can do that work faster this way, whatever. Before you know it, you let all of your goals go and you're not progressing. Right. Your motivation is gone and you've talked yourself out of things that, you know, at the core that you need to get done in order to move forward. And then two, three years later, you're wondering why you didn't get the promotion that you wanted. You didn't negotiate the salary that you wanted. You don't have the relationships with your employees or your coworkers or your colleagues that you want. Your network isn't as strong as you want because you've negotiated yourself out of the things that you need to do. And so. The challenge that I think that we are all tasked with is once you make a deal with yourself, it is a deal, right? It is a binding contract between you and you that you have to make sure that you don't negotiate yourself out of. Granted, things change, situations change, but if it's not a circumstance that is extenuating, so like just wanting to sleep in an extra 15 minutes, that's not that's not a thing, right? Like that that is not a reason to not keep your word to yourself or to negotiate. Um, and you don't want to create a habit of breaking your word to yourself, right? And so self-negotiation is dangerous stuff, avoid it at all costs, and make sure that you are honoring your word to yourself, especially as it pertains to your career, because that is the that the discipline of keeping that word to yourself is what moves you forward and allows you to excel in ways that others won't because they are not keeping track of um, what it is that they're supposed to be doing and they're not keeping their word to themselves. So for I choose the latter, I want our community to be different. I want us to hold us ourselves to a higher standard and not negotiate renegotiating deals that have already been negotiated with yourself, I think is a really, a really strong place to start. Um, Numbers, number five, mentors from afar can be just as impactful as mentors who are up close. And one of the things that he talks about is how much he researched the people that he um, found interesting, fascinating, who had accomplished, you know, great things in the world, people who he thought were excellent. And there were interviews, I think on a Jimmy Kimmel interview, he talked about how he gifted Kobe a book. And he didn't really think Kobe was going to read it. But of course, Kobe read the book because Kobe read a ton. And after he read the book, he called Jimmy and he's trying, he's asking, he's asking him all these questions. And Jimmy's like, dude, I don't know. I didn't write the book. And so Jimmy actually had to find the author, connect the author and Kobe so that Kobe could ask him all of the, the questions that he wanted to have answered because he was just that into the subject. And I know it's different from like for Kobe, right? Because Kobe was a celebrity. He had access and all these different things, right? And the people that he studied, you know, probably had Wikipedia pages and they had written books and all those things. So it was easier to access them or find information from them. But what I would encourage you to do is something that he um, mentioned that he had in his office. And what he had is he called like his gallery of people. So people that he found really fascinating, people that he looked up to, people that he wanted to study and really understand, he had their pictures uh, everywhere. And it would, would remind him to keep learning and studying from those people. And so I would say something that I'm going to do is I'm going to identify three to five 
black female executives, like corporate executives, who I want to learn more about, right? Who I want to learn, who I want to research, who I want to study. I'm going to do a gallery in my office and I'm going to actually take the time to learn about their stories, to learn about their journeys. And I know it's harder to get access if they're not celebrities or CEOs, um, but most people have articles that are written about them. They, they have Twitter pages, they have Instagram pages, they have, there are ways to get information. They've probably done video interviews and conferences. So on YouTube, there's ways to, um, to find, to find those women. But I think that researching and understanding what people have accomplished serves a couple of, of key, uh, functions, right? One, it humanizes them. I think for a lot of us, we put people who we assume to be excellent or who we assume to be um, to be, you know, larger than life. We put them on this pedestal that makes them seem so far removed from who we are. But the thing is, everybody started somewhere. Yes, there are people who were born with like innate talents. So LeBron, clearly a talented person. But LeBron also works really, really hard. Right. Talent without the development really doesn't go anywhere. Or you think about Kobe. Kobe worked really, really hard to become the Kobe Bryant that, you know, we know tons of people with talent who never really do anything. Right. Because it's undeveloped talent. It's unfocused talent. And there are people who have done great things, but they are human. And I think knowing more about them makes us not romanticize who they are. And it makes them a human just like us. Um, I think another thing that we will see is that they make mistakes just like us. A lot of what we see now is just people's highlight reels. It's all of the great things and it's all the awards and it's all of the, you know, the the cheering and the clapping for them. But if you actually research and, and, and listen and learn about people, you'll see that a lot of them have made really big mistakes, really big missteps, really big um decisions that they may have regretted. So I was just listening to an interview with Sam Zell. He's not a black woman, but he's a real estate mogul. He's a billionaire. And then I, after I was done listening to the podcast episode, I went and I read up on him and he's had so many failures. Like there are companies that he's run that have gone bankrupt at multiple companies, right? And so for me, I'm like, listen, one, he faced a lot of, you know, headwind. His life was very fascinating how his family got to the United States. Very fascinating stuff. But he makes mistakes just like everyone else, right? The difference between him and someone and like a Kobe Bryant is that even when they make mistakes, they get up and they go again. They train themselves to be able to overcome whatever obstacle that there is and they try again. Like you'll see Kobe take a million shots and even if he misses 26 shots, He's going to get up and take that 27 shot. He doesn't let that level of, you know, he doesn't he doesn't allow himself to be defeated. And and I think learning from people like that and knowing um, like the Melody Hobsons of the world and the um, the Bazoma St. John's and just the 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 powerhouses um, who are the face of black corporate America, black females in corporate America right now. There are tons of names, people that I've interviewed on this podcast, which is why I love the podcast, because we get to talk about the not so glamorous stuff. And so I think that it would be amazing if people did a gallery wall of someone, women, black women, who inspire you, who you think are great, and take a deeper dive into them. Take a deeper dive into their journey. Take a deeper dive um, into what it's taken to get them to where they are 
and make sure that you aren't just relying on the mentors who are physically in front of you because they also have lives that they are trying to and goals that they're trying to reach. But mentors from afar can be just as impactful. You can learn just as much from them. The next thing that the next lesson is confronting your fears is just as important as knowing your strengths. And I think that a lot of times when we are afraid of something, we don't do the work to get to the root cause of why, what it is that we're, we're afraid of. And because we don't do the work to get to what we're afraid of, we never, under, we never get to, to the place where we can allow that fear to fuel us to move forward and accelerate and do something great. Um, when we feel afraid, most often we shut down and we don't start to ask questions, right? The ultimate goal from what I read for Kobe, he was like, you know, is it you You don't want to take the shot, not a literal shot, but you don't want to take the shot because you might miss and you might embarrass yourself in front of people. Or is it that you think that you're going to do it and then you realize that you're not good at it? Or do you think you're going to do it and people are going to laugh at you or you're going to embarrass yourself? Or do you think that you're going to try something and you're going to fail in front of everybody and all of a sudden people are going to think that you suck or you might not get another opportunity? opportunity a lot of times we don't get that deep into um into thinking about what it is that we're afraid of and if you can't get to the root you can't move forward and the higher you get on um on the corporate ladder the larger the stakes are right as a ceo your decisions and the the consequences of your decision impact your entire company right and it's a different level of it's a different level of visibility than let's say when you were an assistant or when you were a manager or a senior manager or even a VP or an SVP. It's just different. And so the fears are never going to go away. Right. It's just it's not a thing unless you are completely immune to human emotions. You will always have fear associated with with things that you do. But once you get to the root of what is causing that fear, you can then have the ability to combat that with things that you already know to be true. I think we've talked about the what if what is uh, document a bunch of times on the podcast, but getting to the root of what is causing the fear, I believe allows you to use that fear to propel you forward. And another thing that Kobe says getting to the root of fear allows you to do is lesson number seven, which is to get over yourself. I don't know why we think that people are thinking about us all the time, right? As much time as we spent thinking about ourselves, other people are spending just as much time thinking about themselves, right? And while we're not making moves because we don't want this person to think this, or we don't want somebody to say this, or we don't want somebody's opinions um, to, to somehow impact us negatively, those people most times are not thinking about you. They are thinking about themselves. They're thinking about their own career moves. They're thinking about not embarrassing themselves. They're thinking about, um, you know, how you fit into their narrative if if you there is a role for you in that narrative. But nine times out of ten, people don't care as much as you think that they do. They just really don't. I know in my office, people don't care, right? People are trying to make sure that they are doing their jobs. They're, they're not looking foolish. And so you have to be able to get over yourself and get over thinking that you are so important that people actually are spending a significant amount of their mental capacity thinking about you and what you're doing. I know that sounds harsh. I don't mean it to be harsh, but what I am saying is 
Ain't nobody thinking about you. People are literally not thinking about you. There will be times when it's necessary where people will think about you, but it's human nature. We're selfish by nature. And so getting over yourself and just allowing yourself the freedom to just be fully human and fully present as you do the work will take so much pressure off of you and off of everybody else. All the expectations that we have for, for other people, release them of that, release yourself of that, and just do the best that you can and try things. That's how you grow, right? And if you are so caught up in what other people's perceptions of what you say and do and might not do, you're never going to get started on anything. You're not going to take on the projects. You're not going to take the career risks, the calculated career risks at all, because you're going to be so caught up in your own head that you just won't have the mental capacity to seize opportunities that come your way. So I will say this lovingly. I love y'all. But get over yourself. Nobody's thinking about you. And then the last point, so point eight, lesson eight, is my favorite. This is something that I live by. I think I was born thinking this way, but thinking strategically is the most important thing that you can do for your career, period, right? Having the discipline to think strategically and then fulfill on that changes the game for people, right? So being able to see beyond what is happening right now. I think we get so consumed with um, with right now that we don't not allow ourselves to dream, but we don't allow our hearts to open up to the possibilities, right? And I know I mentioned in Liberia podcast episode that like I'm not uh, put, like putting a bunch of things down on paper and thinking like in ten years I want to be here and, and in you know and having these like very hard plans. But I, there is strategy behind everything that I do. I do sit down and think strategically how I want to move forward and what the different moves could mean for my life. And then I pick what works and then I go. And then if it doesn't, and I adjust. And if it works, I keep going. But there has to be some strategy behind how you're approaching your career. You can wing it and you can hope that you end up someplace that you like. Or you can wing it and look up in five years and wonder, like, how did I get here? Um, Kobe said that he started thinking strategically because um, for a portion of his life, he lived in Italy. And when he got back to the United States, he was scrawny. He was having knee issues because he was having a growth spurt. And the kids that he was playing against, like they were bigger than he was. They were faster than he was. He said at, at one point there were kids in his age group doing windmills and he could barely get a mid-range jumper to go up. And so he realized at that time that he needed a plan. He had to have some strategy behind how he was going to build himself up to be able to compete with the other kids that he would be playing against, right? And it's the same for us. What do you need to do strategically to think about to be able to compete in a in an environment that you know is not necessarily created for black women to thrive, if we're being honest, right? What kinds of thoughts and things do you need to put into place so that you understand when you are competing that you have at least some form of a, of, a, of a strategic roadmap that you're following for yourself that of course you can adjust as is necessary, but you go in with a little bit of a blueprint, a little bit of an understanding of what it is that you're trying to accomplish and you allow that to help guide you as you move from you know point A to point B. And it's completely okay to not know everything. It's completely okay to not know. What's not okay is not putting in the work to try to figure it out. 
Nobody's going to figure it out for you. I say this all the time. Your career is your responsibility. And the people who are working in companies with you are worried about their careers. And so you can ask for help. But ultimately, putting the strategy behind what you want to do, you can have your board of advisors, you can have all of those things. But at the end of the day, the strategic thinking lies on you. And that is probably one of the biggest gifts that you can give to yourself is to take the time to put some strategy behind the day-to-day of your career. Those are my eight lessons. I have been thinking so much about, you know, what it means to be excellent How do I show up? What does excellence look like for me? Um, How can I measure my excellence? How do I keep my word to myself? And there are just so many things that I I am grateful, so many lessons that I am grateful that people are sharing openly with, you know, the larger population. Um, I am a student of life. I love to learn. I read all the time. You guys know that. And I'm always grateful for people who are transparent with what it is that they're going through, how they got to where they are, and who tell the truth about the experiences that they've um, been through. I appreciate someone like Kobe Bryant, you know, acknowledging that he sucked at one point, right? He had talent, but in terms of, you know, a a very groomed and and polished and disciplined uh, talent in the beginning just wasn't there. And he worked really hard um, they were talking about, I think it was last time, maybe it was Kenny Smith. He was saying, you know, Kobe had an arrogance about him, but not from a, a level of privilege. It's because he worked harder than everyone else. And so he knew that everything that he had, he had earned. And so he had a right to feel the way that he did because it wasn't given to him. It was earned. And I feel like that's the same with your careers. If you want to have a, a out of this world, change the game type career, nobody's going to give you that. You have to earn it and it's work and it's it's a lot of work. It's a lot of understanding. It's a lot of strategy. It's a lot of time. It's a lot of investment. It's a lot of discipline. It's a lot of saying no to things so that you can say yes to things that are you know important to you. But at the end of the day, if excellence is the desired result, in my opinion, it's worth it. Um, so I hope that these gems were helpful to you. As always, if you want to keep the conversation going, you can text CLIMB, C-L-I-M-B, to 66866 to join our newsletter, or you can find us on Facebook at I Choose the Ladder or on Instagram at I Choose the Ladder. And until next time, thank you for listening.